Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. We will not, let me say it again, we will not allow Iran to acquire nuclear weapons. Words will not stop them, Mr. President. Diplomacy will not stop them. President Biden is doing really the unthinkable. He's going to talk to Mohammed bin Salman. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. Our nation was richly blessed by the life of Woody Williams. A vital link to our nation's greatest generation. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. On the eve of his visit to Saudi Arabia, President Biden pledges to never allow Iran to get a nuclear weapon. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. As we follow the president on the High Wire Act from Tel Aviv to Jeddah with security, military alliances and energy, all on the line. We'll be joined by Hillary Mann Leverett, CEO of Stratega Consulting, former White House Mi- Middle East advisor for both the Clinton and Bush administrations. There's a new effort in Washington to save the CHIP Act. Just as demand for chips begins to pull back, we'll have the latest in a conversation with Bloomberg's Eric Wasson, who'll be with us from the halls of Congress. Analysis today from our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shansano with us for the hour. President Biden takes aim at Iran at a news conference in Jerusalem today, saying that the U.S., as he put it, will not wait forever for Iran to agree to a new nuclear deal, adding... This message, as Israeli Prime Minister Lapid stood at his side. We mean what we say. They have an opportunity to accept this agreement's been laid down. If they don't, we made it absolutely clear. We will not, let me say it again, we will not allow Iran to acquire a nuclear weapon. Some tough talk on the eve of President Biden's visit, as I mentioned, to Saudi Arabia, though Prime Minister Lapid made clear that controlling Iran requires more than talk. Words will not stop them, Mr. President. Diplomacy will not stop them. The only thing that will stop Iran is knowing that if they continue to develop their nuclear program, the free world will use force. Some pretty interesting conversations happening on this trip that, of course, many saw coming here with the headline on the terminal, U.S. signals military backing to Israel with joint declaration. The president committing to extending this agreement gives billions of dollars for the Israeli military in the meeting today with Prime Minister Lapid, a caretaker prime minister, remembering that things were in flux there politically, which makes this all the more fascinating. Hillary Manleverett is with us, the CEO of Stratega Consulting and former White House Middle East advisor 
For the Clinton and W. Bush administrations, author of the landmark text on U.S.-Iran relations going to Tehran, why America must accept the Islamic Republic of Iran, what do you make of the messaging for starters here, Hillary, that, that we're hearing with so much talk about Iran as the president straddles his trip between Israel and Saudi Arabia? It's really fascinating. You know, today is the seventh anniversary of the signing of the Iran nuclear deal, the famous joint, uh, joint, joint, um, the JCPOA, with known yeah. as the Iran nuclear deal. Seven years ago today, this was the signature achievement, signature foreign policy achievement of the Obama-Biden administration. Mm-hmm. It was signed today. And the, the, that deal lifted sanctions on Iran, allowed Iranian oil to flow, all sorts of things that... At the time, Vice President Biden was very happy with. Yes, but right. here we are seven, seven years later, and he is going to Israel and signing an, a, basically an official declaration with the Israelis to use force against Iran for something that, it, when he was vice president, he was happy to use diplomacy for. He, he so spoke on, on television government. in Israel, I'm sure you saw this, said he would not rule out military action to prevent Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. Is he sounding more like Donald Trump or Barack Obama? He's sounding more like Donald Trump. I mean, this, there's not much of a di- much difference between the policy at this point um, that the Biden administration is pursuing. Yeah. They, I, I do not think that they want a war with Iran, as I don't think that that Trump, in his maybe more <laughs> more rational sounding moments, didn't really want a war with Iran yes. either. But both of them have this. Uh, almost, one could say, almost reckless disregard for that happening. And here, too, the, 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 the motivation for this trip to Israel and Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. was not originally Iran. Iran comes up really as the rationale to make this trip palatable. Yes, right. Um, this was supposed to be a trip to Saudi Arabia a couple of months ago, right? Then we had, of course, an important additive here. We put the... Uh, the initial days of the journey into Israel, despite the fact that they're in the midst of solving uh, their politics there. But I wonder if if you see this, Hillary, as a change in policy for this administration or Joe Biden trying to grease the skids on his way to Saudi Arabia to say things that they want to hear. Well, it's probably a little bit of both. And it's it's really part of a bigger picture, or, or at this point, larger concerns that the administration has had to grapple with over the past few months. And that that really comes from Russia's invasion of Ukraine and this almost out-of-control um, competition between the United States, Russia, and tri- China, yeah. which the Biden administration just does not have a handle on. And why that's important in the Middle East is that from what I understand, folks within the Biden administration were shocked that when Russia invaded Ukraine and the United States wanted to impose sanctions or at least have rhetorical condemnation of Russia at the United Nations, our most our stalwart allies mm-hmm. in the Middle East, mm-hmm. Israel, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, all of them not only refused to join sanctions, but they refused to even condemn Russia's actions. Wow. And what that told folks in the Biden administration was, we are losing influence in the Middle East mm-hmm. rapidly and in an uncontrollable way, and that must be stopped. Well, this trip takes on new urgency against that backdrop with, with that framing that, that you just gave us here, Hillary. And people have been talking a lot about oil. This sounds like a lot more than oil. This sounds like preventing a power vacuum for for yeah. for Russia for China uh, but I also wonder you know how much of this has to do with our military alliances and our military support for both Israel and Saudi Arabia we're talking about 
billions of dollars in weapons that we're providing both nations. And we're going to be providing a lot more. Part of what was agreed in, um, in Jerusalem today and what will be agreed over uh, the next day or so in Saudi Arabia are, from what I understand, will be even more weapon sales and the lifting of the, the embargo essentially on some kind of offensive weapons. Yeah. Is that Saudi the Arabia. big news? Offensive weapons from the United States as opposed to, hey, I've got three million barrels of oil in the back of Air Force One. Yeah, I, I don't think that there's any real expectation that the Saudis are going to do anything so decisive on oil that's really going to help um, U.S. You know, as gasoline prices or the U.S. economy in the near future. Yeah. And if that were really the priority of the Biden administration, they could go back into the Iran nuclear deal tomorrow mm. and let a million barrels of oil out of Iran tomorrow. Mm. So if they really wanted more oil on the market, there's a, a much easier way to do that than to press the Saudis, who may not even have the capacity uh, to do this. Then has this been a failure in messaging by the White House? Because, I mean, half of America thinks he's going over there to lower gas prices. It's a, it's a failure of messaging, and it really, I think in a deeper way, shows an incoherence in policy, incoherence in what the goals are, um, and a, an administration that's really struggling to catch up with, with really important, almost seismic hmm. developments in geopolitics that either they didn't anticipate or just weren't prepared to deal with, including Russia's invasion of Ukraine, including China's continuing competition with the United States, and these pro-American stalwarts, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Israel, basically turning their back on the United States and saying, you know, we're happy to be, you know, uh, somewhat allies with you, but we're not going to put all of our eggs in your basket. That's right. We're spending time with Hillary Mann-Leverett, CEO of Stratega Consulting. Uh, you were, in your time as a White House Middle East advisor, you were director for Iran, Afghanistan, and Persian Gulf Affairs at the National Security Council. Hillary, at that time, what would you have thought as you projected, and I know this was part of your job to project 10, 20 years out, here we are in 2022. What did you think this region, this relationship between the U.S. and this region would look like? Well, one of the things that, that I learned... Uh, at, in the Bush administration in particular, right after 9-11, yeah. you, some of our most important allies all of a sudden had a big question mark over them. Saudi Arabia, with 15 of the 19 hijackers on 9-11 being from Saudi Arabia. Pakistan, our longtime ally, was harboring uh, not only the Taliban, but al-Qaeda at the time. There was this huge question mark all of a sudden put over our longtime allies and a question mark put over some of our erstwhile enemies, like the Islamic Republic of Iran. After 9-11, one of the most helpful countries to us was Iran, not Saudi Arabia, not Pakistan. And this doesn't mean that, that Iran is a good country, that the government yeah. is good. What it, what it showed me and others, even within the Bush administration, was that Iran, in some ways like China, even if you don't like their policies, they are critically important civilizational states right. that are not going anywhere. So this they has been a reversal from where you were. How, to, to whom, yes. do you, how do you peg the blame? It was, is, is that the outcome of the Obama years, the Trump years, or both? Both. I mean, there, there's always, my, what my book really was about uh, going to Tehran is that there's an inevitability that the United States has to deal with Iran, like with China. We're not, we can't wish them away. There has to be diplomatic engagement with them. We have some common interests. We have some big differences. But there's always going to be engagement. And so both the Obama administration and the Trump uh, administration understood that, but they tried to really get 
to get everything, to have their cake and eat it too. Mm. They were not willing to really look at what are others' interests, what are Iran's interests, and how can we work together yeah. on common interests and, in a sense, bracket where we have problems. Did the president do the right thing this week, saying that he would keep the Iranian Revolutionary Guard on the, the terror list, essentially, uh, no matter what, even if it meant killing this deal? Again, this is another thing that makes no sense. The Revolutionary Guard are sanctioned 50,000 different ways in American law. If you take them off of one of the lists, it really makes no difference. It is a symbolic designation, but it just shows that the Biden administration is at this point willing to sacrifice uh, a diplomatic diplomatic deal with Iran that could bring more oil and gas onto the market. They just don't want that headline. Yeah, they just don't want that. It's bad politics for them, especially in the lead up to November. Fascinating conversation. Hillary, I'm so glad you could join us. Hillary Mann Leverett, CEO of Stratega Consulting, and clearly spent some time in the White House. The Clinton and W. Bush administrations as the White House Middle East advisor. Today, she's your advisor here on Sound On. The fastest hour in politics. We'll assemble the panel next. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are up. This is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. Everyone thinks that President Biden is overseas just to get oil. Maybe he will get some oil. I'm sure he wants extra oil. But as you heard from our conversation with Hillary Mann Leverett, there's so much more on the table here. So much of it has to do with not only security in the region, but our stake in it, preventing the power vacuum for Russia and China to move in here. And a fascinating day uh, for Joe Biden as he made his way through Israel, as we mentioned, 
not only warning on the nuclear deal with Iran, but actually making some news here and signing this defense cooperation agreement uh, with the Israelis, including billions in defense aid for Israel. We assembled our panel now. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us, Bloomberg Politics contributors. I want you both to hear what Senator John Cornyn said today. This is, basically proves the point that not, not just half of America, probably more than that, think that Joe Biden is on a shopping trip to go to the oil store. Here's Senator Cornyn of Texas. Rather than have domestic producers in places like Texas and elsewhere uh, produce more oil and gas here in America, President Biden is doing really the unthinkable. He's going to talk to Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia. He is going to talk to him. Rick Davis, uh, it sounds to me, though, like there's a lot more than oil to talk about. Well, there is a lot more than oil to talk about. And, you know, this is pretty late in the game in his administration to be making this trip. Um, he's traveled extensively all over the world, and this is his first visit to um, the Middle East and the kingdom. Yeah. And so uh, it's a long time in coming. And in, in that period of time, there is a vacuum. And we've seen it growing over time. Russian and Chinese are lobbying hard uh, throughout the GCC to find friends and, and extend their influence. I mean, remember, it was only a few years ago we had to insist it, the UAE not allow China to build a strategic port in the huh. region. I wow. mean, like this, they, they, you know, they were going to put a naval vessel yeah. in, you know, not far from where we keep the fifth fleet in Bahrain. Not so, going to happen. These are important places to consider. Uh, the security of that region is important, and our leadership is tantamount to uh, keeping things from boiling over. And so well, this is an it. important trip. Uh, it started well in, in Israel, and we'll see how it uh, finishes up on Friday in Saudi Arabia. The way that Rick just put that, Jeannie, to keep things from boiling over, you actually can connect that to energy prices. If there was a disruption, if there was... Uh, let's say uh, a, a military uh, incursion from either China or Russia, if the stakes changed or even there was a whiff of that, the oil market would respond and things would likely be more expensive than they are now. How important is that part of this trip? That part of this trip is very important. It's critically important for domestic politics. But I think what we saw on display today for the for the Biden administration was all the niceties between the Biden administration and Israel in terms of their approach to Iran went by the wayside because they became very clear how different their approaches are. And, you know, I thought it was very interesting what Hillary was talking about, you know, us losing influence. Some people talked about it as us potentially, if we don't get this deal on Iran, which it looks like we won't, yeah. subcontracting Middle Eastern security to Israel. And that is something Nixon did with the Shah of Iran in the 1970s. It's a very dangerous game for the United States to play for the very reasons Rick was just talking about which is the the real uh, power vacuum that you mm -hmm. create over there, not to mention the security, uh, the, the security threat. So that, I think, is a real challenge that the Biden administration is trying to grapple with. Yep. And they don't seem to have many answers. If not a nuclear agreement, which is not going to satisfy Israel, then what? Then why not an Iran deal here, Rick, if it does both put oil back on the market and prevent Iran from obtaining a nuclear weapon? Uh, are we are we afraid to to upset Israel and the Saudis? Uh, I don't think it's a matter of upsetting Israel and the Saudis. Uh, I, they've been upset before with yeah. the original JPR. So, um, but uh, Joe Biden wasn't this, the president then. I just I don't know how sensitive he's trying to be to these partners. He, he wasn't the president then. But but also what has changed is the pernicious influence of Russia and China in the region. Remember, Russian scientists are the ones who helped build the nuclear program in Iran. Yeah. 
And, and so, you know, they've been, Russia has been supplying Iran with materials and equipment in order to facilitate, you know, their nuclear program. So it's not just Iran on its own doing this. Mm-hmm. Our enemies of our enemies are not our friends. <laughs> and, and, and Russia and Iran have to be seen in a very similar picture now. And that changes the dynamic for, for, for the president of the United States, you know, while he's in Israel, to sharpen his tongue a little bit yeah. on what he's prepared to accept out of Iran. But does that create and, a greater need for this deal, Rick, or does it make it more toxic for the U.S.? Well, I think I think you have to remember there's a counterparty, and Iran is the one who's not dealing in a re, in a realistic fashion with yeah, a with a right. deal here. Now, you could argue that that's because they were kicked out of the agreement by Donald Trump and things like that. But if they wanted an agreement, they'd be at the table today. He says he's not going to wait forever. Joe Biden, uh, Jeannie, how long does that mean we have to figure this out? Well, you know, I, I'm not sure. And he didn't answer that question. And, you know, he, what it sounds like is, again, we are going to be turning over the security to Israel because yeah. if not an agreement, then what is we have no answer to the what. And the other thing he said at the presser was about not committing when he meets with the Saudi prince Mm -hmm. to bringing up the human rights record. Well, there's a big reason not to bring it up because we need Saudi Arabia to help us isolate Russia and China. If not, if they turn to somebody like a Pakistan, for instance, they too could be in the nuclear business. So there is a lot of challenges here. And I think Joe Biden is showcasing all of those in this in this very short presser today and none of it left anybody feeling very comfortable about I wonder the future if the window for for a deal closes when vladimir putin shows up in tehran next week rick do you you know i think i think that this is the whole point i was trying to make earlier is i don't think vladimir putin wants there to be a deal and well, i no. think it'll only get worse not better so there it is this might be over already it sounds like it if i'm reading you guys rick davis Jeannie shanzano our panel Not just our panel, the signature panel, and for the hour, they'll be back after we check in with Eric Wasson, Bloomberg's reporter on Capitol Hill, as now we're looking at a a CHIP Act that could pass. We'll tell you what we mean coming up. This is Bloomberg. It's been billed as the golden ticket for computer chip makers. The CHIP Act. Do I need to remind you, $52 billion in incentives for chip makers to make chips here instead of there, to do it in the United States instead of somewhere like Taiwan. It's been locked up in a bigger piece of legislation aimed at better competing with China. They called it USICA, they called it it the China Competes Act. There's been about 10 different names for this thing, but Bloomberg is reporting a break here. Senator Chuck Schumer is planning to move ahead with, well, a new plan to vote on a skinny CHIP Act, if I can call it that, without the broader bill. Now, Senator John Cornyn of Texas, who we heard from earlier this hour on energy, says this is all a big bluff because Democrats know they don't have the votes. Remember, this was going to be like a slam dunk nine months ago. Uh, We're joined now uh, by Eric Wasson, Bloomberg reporter on Capitol Hill, who shares the byline. And it's great to have you back, Eric. Does this actually end up seeing the light of day? I think it may, it may well uh, do so. I think a key break came uh, yesterday when Gina Raimondo, the Commerce Secretary, came up to Capitol Hill and said the administration would support this, uh, which is calling a Chips Plus bill. Chips Plus. And the way Chips, yeah, so Chips Plus basically is looking like it's the Chips bill, which is grants and subsidies for chip makers, $52 mm-hmm. billion, dollars, plus a what's called the FABS Act, which is basically an investment tax credit for chip manufacturing, mm-hmm. maybe about $2 billion in 5G uh, rollout support. And basically, a couple other odds in there to just get that through. And the reason there's an impasse now is because Mitch McConnell, he's trying to use this CHIPS bill as leverage to stop 
uh, Democrats are doing this wider the uh, reconciliation tax, bill. Yes, what, yeah. which is a code word for a tax and climate and potentially Obamacare bill that they're working on. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a separate story just out on the terminal now about how that's been delayed. They were going to try to release uh, the tax and energy parts of that this week. It did not come out. Uh, you know, they're trying to get everything done by August, but this, this deadline is, is really in jeopardy now. Yeah. Um, wow. So really it was McConnell who put the, the, the latest wrench in it. They're trying to slim this down. I asked Nancy Pelosi at her press conference today, would she go along with this? Because the House has really been pushing a bunch of trade benefits, including payments mm -hmm. to workers who were displaced by trade, and she seems open to it. So I think there are people that are signed. Wow. Now, Cornyn did come out and say he's not going to go along with it, but others, like Capito, this is the Republican senator from West Virginia, said she would vote to get on this chips, uh, skinny chips bill. Mm -hmm. So I think there's some division over among Republicans. Maybe it'll work. We could see a vote on Tuesday. Well, you should know, and you'd be proud of us, Eric. We've been walking out hard on, on, on the relationship between these two bills and, of course, the lack of time that lawmakers have, knowing that they're going to be out for the better part of August. What's realistic here? If this goes through, does that mean reconciliation is a non-starter? Because I, I can't imagine how that happens when they come back from August. Well, I mean, you know, I think that reconciliation could still happen. Yeah. It's basically, uh, there's, there's, there's some technical reasons why they can't put it, like, let's say Manchin, Senator Joe Manchin, West Virginia, and Chuckson get a deal to pump out legislation, you know, at the beginning of next week. They can't go right to the floor because there's a lot of Senate rules issues. They're trying mm -hmm. to use this very arcane process to get by Republicans. Right, right. Basically, Democrats alone can do a budget bill. Now, what qualifies as a budget bill? That's up to this obscure rules official, the parliament. Can they do it in three weeks, though? They could. I, I'm told by the, one of the foremost experts in reconciliation, if they got it out the end of next week, they could still possibly make this August wow. 4th deadline, but it'd be very tight. After that, we're really talking about either suspending August recess, working in September when they've got to try to fund the government by the end of the month. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and, and plus, there's tax increases in this now. They are designed to be tax increases on the wealthy and, and, and you know, millionaire lawyers and other businesses. But, you know, if you do that right before an election, it's going to be hard for those vulnerable Democrats to go out and explain this to voters right. and easy for opponents to say, look, they're raising taxes. They're making people who have to pay more for bread and gas pay more in taxes. You know, we've been, uh, as I mentioned, talking about the CHIP Act since the last calendar year. Uh, and, and Gina Raimondo has turned this into a full-time job. We heard from Taiwan Semiconductor, though, uh, on, on the other side of the terminal here, on the corporate side, Eric. And they're talking about slowing demand because, well, everything is slowing. We're going into an economic uh, period here of slower growth, if not a recession. A lot of people are pulling back. A lot of companies are pulling back on things. Is this going to end up passing just as we don't need it? Oh, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's necessary for a bunch of reasons. We've had briefings here. What's well, necessary for national security reasons to have domestic manufacture of yeah. this. And what Mark Warner came out and one of the senators from Virginia said, you know, look, Intel and others are getting subsidy agreements from Britain, from Germany. They're going to lure manufacturers offshore. It's going to lose jobs at the end of the day and threaten national security because we don't have control. over. So this has to happen for the long term is the answer. That's the answer that I'm hearing now. Yeah. You know, uh, at the end of the day, even if there's this continues to be a bottleneck now, they could come back and do it in December on the national defense bill. Uh -huh. But again, what Warner said is you, a delay of months could be a delay of years because Intel right. and other manufacturers will get subsidies and they'll go elsewhere. Well, we already know they delayed the groundbreaking on this massive campus in Ohio, right? We talked to, uh, to Senator Rob Portman about that. 
And I'm sure he didn't like getting that phone call. I don't know if they're talking to other countries uh, because I know there's there are a lot of incentives out there. It's quite a buffet for these chip makers here, but I suspect there will be more of those. Gina Raimondo told us there would be, Eric. If this $52 billion doesn't show up, they're going to go somewhere else. Well, that's, a, that's the ironic thing is that they, they forecast that the Congress would do this so other countries rushed out to do their own program, and then we don't <laughs> And they do beat it. us we to it. Made the, they, we made the competition <laughs> more fierce. Unbelievable. Uh, if that's the case, then you've got a busy three weeks. So chips and reconciliation could, in fact, pass through Congress before the August recess is the takeaway from Eric Wasson. Is that fair, yeah, Eric? It could be, but it, it could be, but it's always safe to bet against Congress. because <laughs> That's a man who's there every day. There is a chance, right, that none of them happen, that this is it. Nothing else comes out of this Congress until it's appropriations. Uh, that's also true, yes. Wow. Well, that's why you're there. Eric, thank you. Hasn't been with us for a while, and uh, one of our best reporters on Capitol Hill. Bloomberg's Eric Wasson on the fastest hour in politics. We'll add the panel to this because they know what's coming as well. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano on the CHIP Act. And by the way, something wonderful that happened today on Capitol Hill that you'll want to hear about. I hope not only here, but let's hear it for Woody Williams. Huh? I'm Joe Matthew at World Headquarters in New York, and this is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. People in Washington are talking about the skinny chips. Sounds like something in the diet foods aisle, but it's actually computer chips in a skinny version of the bill that Chuck Schumer thinks he might be able to get past John Cornyn says it's all a big bluff. Let's reassemble our panel, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, 
Bloomberg Politics contributors are with us to add some sense to this. Jeannie, I, I feel almost ridiculous bringing this up because we've been talking about it for a year now and uh, it's been locked up in this conference committee, well, gosh, for months. And so I guess who can blame Chuck Schumer? Just break this thing apart. The CHIPS Act is the piece that everybody seems to agree on, right? That's right. And, and, you know, I think this is sort of the path that they can pull together in the Senate, at least the 60 votes they need. And I do think that's more than possible. There is some resistance there, but they can pull that together. And the big question is, of course, the House. But as you were just discussing, Pelosi seems open to it. So this mm. is a way to break that stalemate that's been going on in the conference for so long. And the House's refusal to just pass the Senate bill, which is obviously a no go after a year. thought this was bipartisan, Rick. What happened? You know, look, it's more bipartisan than it than it appears today. I mean, you know, it got passed in a bipartisan fashion out of the House and Senate, and it's in a in a conference. But this is a different bill than the skinny chips bill you were discussing, and, and it's falling prey right now to a power struggle. It's got nothing to do with the legislation Jeez. or who's voted for it in the past. Yeah. Uh, McConnell, I, I think, smartly so, is trying to keep the Senate from passing a reconciliation bill, which will spend another trillion dollars and and have a bunch of talking points for Democrats. To go into November with and he sees the potential for that and this is the one thing he's got and a card to play now we've seen him cave and negotiate in the mm -hmm. past on similar items and so that's a possibility but the clock is ticking I mean you know uh, uh, Eric was saying that this all has to be wrapped up by August 4th when recess starts right and they take recess seriously in an election year I yeah. mean this is when they want to go back and see their constituents yep uh, so forget reconciliation, Jeannie, right? How, how could that possibly happen? I know Eric said they could figure this out in the next three weeks, but I mean, that would that would end up in the Guinness Book with this Congress. You know, I, I, I'm not predicting it will happen. I think the path forward would be something like the skinny chips. You'd have a skinny reconciliation bill, which, you know, mm. is pared down enough that it focuses just, say, on Medicare. You know, something that, you know, most people, in particular Joe Manchin, can agree on and they can move that forward. I don't know if it will happen. You know, if, if we were to see chips and reconciliation, even skinny versions of both, that would be an astonishing summer. I, I can't imagine we'd see both. But, you know, it, it, I guess it is possible at this point. I know the CHIPS Act is very popular, uh, Rick, but is it in Mitch McConnell's uh, best interest to make sure that that reconciliation bill does not pass? I mean, he could throw up a lot of other obstacles in the next three weeks. He could. Uh, I'm not sure he would agree with Eric's analysis that, you know, these chip companies could potentially flee the United States for greener pastures abroad. Yeah. I don't think he would give up, McConnell, on the idea that um, uh, that we're going to uh, at some point incentivize this industry. He just doesn't want to do it between now and a reconciliation bill. <laughs> right. and, he's, and he's got a week to kill. So yeah. um, I, I, I think he's playing a hard card. Uh, Schumer's not in the Senate right now to sort of personally lobby. Mm -hmm. And 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 Democrats are going to have a hard time keeping their caucus together. And is is so, Cornyn bluffing by calling this a big bluff, though, Rick? Where are the votes on it? Oh, I think everybody right now is bluffing. Okay. And the votes, the, you have enough votes for anything and no votes for everything. <laughs> God, you must miss this stuff, uh, being in the throes of all of it. Uh, Jeannie, Rick made a great point. Everybody's got to get home for August, and that's going to change a lot of the conversations when when they're campaigning, holding town hall meetings, you know, going out and shaking hands. Everybody gets an earful, and they come back thinking a little bit differently about some things. Uh, what's this going to feel like in September? 
Well, a- absolutely. I mean, you know, they are going to have an earful from their constituents and their voters. And, you know, things like, you know, taint, you know, tax increases are probably going to be a no-go at this point. So, yeah, we heard this, you know, the, the famous cases on the, the Obamacare. You go home with one idea in mind and Isn't you go to right? these town halls and you hear something else and they'll return. So, you know, I do think there is a short calendar here. This has to be done in the next 14, 16 days. Otherwise, it's hard to imagine they would have the energy and the votes importantly to do it then again rick they're going to hear about inflation when they go home and that was supposed to be the idea behind this chip act right so that could prompt chips to pass i guess maybe or or maybe they want to go home and say hey at least we got this done but the reconciliation plan uh could be out of reach what do you think yeah i think we're we've got a lot of time to go even though it doesn't seem like it is Mm -hmm. and and you could get a chips deal done if that's the only thing that they can agree to do and it could go fast because again everyone's already voted on this every single component of what they would include in a slimmed down version has already been voted on and passed so it's just a matter of making something smaller that everybody agrees on that makes it more manageable and they've got time left on the calendar to get that done I I see this happening in a lot of parallel tracks, and at the end of the day, it's like, you know, the sort of the Mexican standoff. I mean, who blinks first and who gets to vote? And if there's a reconciliation vote, you're not going to get a CHIPS vote. If there's a CHIPS vote, it means you've already cut a deal where there won't be a reconciliation Is that a blessing in disguise for Democrats, Jeannie, so they don't have to answer for spending another trillion dollars on the eve of the election? It's a blessing for Democrats, particularly in purple districts. That's that's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. There is going to be some pushback on that, of course. But that may be the play here, right, is that they do the chips. They're able to deliver that. It's a win for Biden. Yeah. And then they don't have to take the hard vote. And it wouldn't be the first time Congress has wanted to avoid a hard vote. Joe Biden taking phone calls on this from overseas, you think, Rick? Is the, it does feel like we're getting to a bit of a crescendo here. Well, the question is, is Joe Biden making phone calls okay. while he's over How there? About because that? Because no one really cares about him if they can't get a bill passed. And what he should care about is doing exactly what Jeannie was saying, which is, I've got to have that chip sack before you guys leave. Right. And, and by the way, I, I think the Democrats are in a tight bind because, you know, they've got these subsidies on ARPA that, you know, aren't got, you know, the, the Obamacare that, that they have promised the 13 million people that they're going to fulfill. And they don't have those deals done yet. And so it's going to they're going to have a lot of egg on their face if they don't get this reconciliation bill done before Election Day. Wow. Well, I'll tell you, Chuck Schumer must be burning the phones right now, reminding everyone listening that he's been out with COVID, which does not make any of this any easier. But I will tell you before we go away today about something that something wonderful that happened in the Capitol today, and it had nothing to do with legislation. Bring us inside the Capitol rotunda, Justin. Our nation was richly blessed by the life of Woody Williams. And we trust he now rests with his father, from whom all blessings flow. With Woody's passing, we have lost a deeply selfless American and a vital link to our nation's greatest generation. How about that? Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell agree on this. And of course, well, how couldn't they? Woody Williams, you might have seen a story about him in the last couple of weeks. The last surviving World War II Medal of Honor recipient in honor today, laying in honor in the U.S. Capitol Rotunda. He died at the end of June, June 29, at 98 years old. Presented, it was just an incredible story, presented with the Congressional Medal of Honor by President Truman in 1945. He had just gotten back, somehow survived the Battle of Iwo Jima, 
where he took out a couple of Japanese pillboxes by putting his life on the line. He was one of these guys with a flamethrower. I used to hear about those guys from my grandfather, the late Joe Matthew, who also fought on Iwo Jima. He was in the 5th Marine Division, and I'd hear stories about those guys with the flamethrowers. Not to mention these guys who were taking out the pillboxes and putting their lives on the line, like Woody. He served as a member of the Marine Corps with the 21st Marines, 3rd Marine Division. And pretty great today, Rick, to see this. And, and incredible at the same time. The last surviving World War II Medal of Honor recipient. It's certainly the end of an era. It's an incredible story. His life, a uh, diminutive guy. Uh, I don't think he ever weighed more than about 140 pounds. Yeah. And, and, and yet he was a leader. Uh, he established himself early in his life as someone who's willing to give back to the community. Uh, he's just been a beacon of hope and, and inspiration. And, 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 and it was wonderful to see, even though it's a, a solemn event at the Capitol, mm-hmm. all the Republicans and Democrats together right. honoring this man who gave so much to his country. He spent a lot of time uh, working with the Department of Veterans Affairs, 30 years of, of giving back and traveling around, talking to veterans and trying to make their lives better. Jeannie, to see all those D's and R's in that room today is a pretty major statement on what a wonderful contribution he made. It was, and the Marine Corps band playing while they were walking around the casket, it was a beautiful picture and to see. And, of course, there is still a lot to be done for veterans in this country. There's yeah. been bills just this week that people have been talking about. And so, you know, Woody would probably be the first one to advocate on behalf of the veterans in that regard. His valor in combat enshrined, as Mitch McConnell reminded us today, aboard the USS Herschel Williams, the Herschel Williams Armed Forces Reserve Center, his commitment to his fellow veterans inspires caregivers and i wonder if they could do something to help the va right now in his name rick what does the va need right now you know i think that it's this kind of inspiration that uh the va should go out and be able to talk about how um you know the network of veterans regardless of what war they served in you know is a tight-knit community and one that holds together yeah. um you know they've been under a lot of pressure over the last decade and um and and you know uh, Woody Williams is is something that uh, I think they should be talking about for the rest of our lives. Here, here, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. Thanks so much to both of you for another great conversation. We dig into some pretty heavy stuff on this program, and that's why we need Rick and Jeannie to show us the way. Sometimes on the fastest hour in politics, I'm Joe Matthew at World Headquarters in New York. I'll meet you back here tomorrow, and also meet you at high noon Wall Street time on Balance of Power. If you showed up late. Subscribe to the podcast, and I'll see you here on the Friday edition. I'm Joe Matthew, and this is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.